0: Man, aren't you glad you came to church today? Holy cow. My goodness. Uh... I'm thankful for those little worship bumpers because they just give us a little bit of time in between worship and the message. I was really thankful for it today because I kind of had to mop up and <laughs> get ready and, and, uh, and yet I'm excited to be in week two of our series Living and Loving. We started this last week uh, with the idea that we would learn together from the New Testament letters, and predominantly the writings of Paul. We'll look at some Psalms as well, I'm sure, as we go but learning how to live together in peace. How do we live with one another? How do we love each other and those around us as a response to Jesus's command? Remember back when he instituted the new covenant and we went through the Lord's Supper? Um, Each time we celebrate that, it's a reminder that we are in a new covenant, that there was an old covenant, and we read about that in the Old Testament, and Jesus came to usher in a new covenant, And we read about that in the New Testament. And when he instituted that new covenant, he also instituted a new command. He told his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another, love one another. And so we are learning together as we read, uh, because really that's one of those that says easy and does hard. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And so when he tells us to love one another, uh, God was wise enough to understand that we were going to need to flesh that out. And so that's where the rest of the New, Coven- or the New Testament comes in, and the Gospels aren't the end. There's letters that were written by pastors, by church leaders, to churches that had been planted that were figuring out how to love one another, how to live together with each other, and to live as examples to the world Around them. So it's a five-week series. Last week we looked at a mother's love and how a mother's love is a window into God's love. If you miss that message or if you miss any message as we head into summer and you might be out of town one weekend, you can join us live. And I want to just say hello again to our online audience. You can always join us live, but you can also find these through our Church Center app, on our website. You can go to our YouTube page, our Facebook page. You have no excuse. If you want to stay with us, you have the opportunity but today we're going to be looking at this idea of loving thy neighbor, loving thy neighbor. And when I say the word neighbor, what goes to my mind usually are the people that live across the street or down the street or around the corner from me. Those are the people that come to mind when I think about my neighbors, those that are we live in close proximity to. And that's a great a great explanation of or example of our neighbors, but Jesus was very careful in his ministry. And we can read about it in Luke chapter 10. We're not going to go there today, uh, but there was a point in time when he had an opportunity to expand neighbor beyond just the people that live in your little town or your little village or your little neighborhood. And he was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And he told a story as he often did. He told a story to illustrate the point And in the story, a Jewish man is on his way to Jericho. He falls into the hands of robbers. He's beaten and left for dead. And two of his fellow Jewish brothers walk right by him and leave him because they were on their way to lead a worship service. They were on their way to do something. And it was a Samaritan, which is really important because Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They did not see eye to eye. And so it was a foreigner from a rival culture who had compassion on this man who was in need. And Jesus tells that story to illustrate the point that that your neighbors aren't just the people that think like you or that act like you. Your neighbors are the people around you in this world, especially those who are in need. And so we have local neighbors, and we have global neighbors, and we have in-person neighbors, and we have digital neighbors today. That maybe wouldn't have been the case when Jesus was walking on this earth and there was no digital world to engage in, but today we have digital neighbors, and how are we loving our neighbors across the street, around the world, in person and online? That's our subject today. And I want to take just a moment um, because there's something to celebrate, um, and, and it's maybe not what you think. Um, if you get our Friday uh, digital bulletin, uh, you read the first item there that we had recently moved to a masks optional um, in response to changing guidelines from the CDC, and some people were thrilled about that and some people were a little cautious about that, and we moved to mask optional here, and that's not what I want to celebrate. What I want to celebrate is that we didn't have mask wars at Linwood. A lot of churches had mask wars. A lot of churches were split in half over a mask and Linwood wasn't and as i as your pastor i had pastor friends who their ministry was basically put on hold to have conversations every week with people about masks and the two sides lined up against each other and it, it's it was sad and it was sad what the world outside saw the Christian church doing in many cases. Fortunately, we didn't experience that here, and I thank God for that, and I celebrate that, and I celebrate that we didn't have an indication that somebody got COVID at church, which was one of our goals in that. And as we move out into a a new world, I just want to thank you and celebrate that. And I also want to mention, you'll see me wearing a mask, and the primary reason for that is that the central uh, second uh, of our Second phrase of our mission statement is to give them a place to belong. One of our core values is to give people a place to belong and to care for one another. And I feel as a pastor, one of the best ways that I can make sure everybody feels like they belong is for me to wear a mask as long as there's people wearing masks. So that's what you'll see me doing. doesn't mean you need to do the same. That was just a personal conviction that God laid on my heart as I was about to preach on loving thy neighbor. I felt like I should let you know that so that you don't read between the lines and assume that it's for a reason that maybe it's not. Um, And you don't have to do the same that was just how i felt love led to love my neighbor. And i want to challenge you as you walk through this sermon together as we spend time looking into god's word as you're reading the scriptures throughout the week. I want you to be thinking about how is god asking you to love your neighbor? Whether that's a literal neighbor in your neighborhood or that's a neighbor at work or a neighbor Across the world in a digital space or some other way, just be asking God, pray a little prayer that says, God, show me how I can love my neighbor this week. And maybe it's your neighbor that lives in your house with you. And that's the neighbor that you need to be more loving to in the week ahead. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And, uh, If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. It's going to be on the screen as well. If you're watching online, we'll have it on the screens. But I always encourage you to have a Bible in your hand when you go to church, even if you go to church on your couch. Um, So I would encourage you to open that up, underline things, um, and make notes. Um, And I want to tell you just a little bit about Ephesians before we dive into it, because as I mentioned with the book of Romans last week, that a lot of these new churches that Paul had planted and was now writing back to We're experiencing some division, and the division was around, you know, there were Jewish converts, so they had been born Jewish and had grown up with the law, and there were Gentile converts who hadn't been born Jewish, hadn't grown up with the law, and some from very different cultures, and so they were having a hard time living and loving together and doing it well. And so a lot of what Paul writes to these churches is to teach them how to live together at peace with one another and how to love each other and the world around them really well, and Ephesians is no exception. In fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians are primarily doctrinal. Like, these are the things that you need to understand if you're a believer, if you are a a Christian, if you are someone who has said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, these are the things that you believe, and here's the gospel, and here's a clear presentation of it, and it's a unifying element. And then in verses, I'm sorry, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he gets really practical. Therefore, because of all that that's true in chapters 1 through 3, here's how you live it out here's how you do it and so we can learn a lot from that in fact the verse first verse that we're going to read today in verse 25 has a therefore and every time you see a therefore you say ah, what's the therefore therefore right i tell you that all the time and some people it's like i can't read my bible now pastor mark whenever i see a therefore I, that little phrase rings in my ears and i have to go back and read what was just said so i know what the therefore is therefore well I don't have time to read all of chapters 1, 2, uh, 3 and the first 24 verses of chapter 4, but that's your assignment. If you haven't already done that in the banding together reading plan, you can go and do that this afternoon and uh, you'll know what the therefore is there for. In this case, he's speaking particularly to the idea that, that we should put on a new self, that there's a new creation. Paul writes about this a lot. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's here, it's in other places where he says there's a new creation. The old has passed away. You put off certain things and you put on other things, almost like our clothing, which should be immediately visible. You know what. What color my pants are because it's immediately visible. And he's saying the same thing. He's like, this should be immediately visible as you put on this new self. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So that's the first therefore. Then he continues, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold." He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Very practical, uh, this whole section. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit all who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's a pretty big chunk, and we kind of read through that whole thing, and And I want to take our time and walk back through it. And as we do so, you'll see that there's kind of bookends that have to do with what we say and how we Do What we do, what we say and how we do, what we say and how we say it, and what we do and how we do it, maybe to expand that. And so if you look at verse 25, he says, to put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So we're speaking the truth, that's the first step. And then on the back end of that, in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, live a life of love, and so really, if you want to boil it all down, it's, a, it's what we say and how we say it. It's speaking the truth, and it's what we do and how we do it that really matters as we seek to love our neighbors. Now, in between there, there's a lot more practical application that we can start to make of this. And so in verses 26 and 27, he says, Be angry, but do not sin. And he's quoting, In your anger, do not sin. He's quoting this old proverb, or this, you find it in Psalms as well. And, and then he adds to it, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then, in the same sentence, and do not give the devil a foothold. There's a couple of things at work here. first thing you have to understand is that anger is not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, don't sin. So, anger is not sin. Sin is sin. <laughs> Sin is sin, and that word that we translate as sin is the Greek word hamartia, and it was literally an archery term before it ever got used in the pages of Scripture, and it meant to miss the mark. And so if I was an archer and I was shooting for a bullseye in the back of the room, and I let the arrow fly, and I did not hit the bullseye, they would say, ooh, he sinned. He missed the mark. He missed what he was aiming for. And in case there's any doubt, the mark is love. Love. The mark is to live a life of love, as he says in chapter 5, verse 2. So that's what we're aiming for, is love. And so anger doesn't mean that we've sinned. Some things should make us angry, but they should be the same things that make God angry. And something that makes God angry, we shouldn't be ambivalent to. And something that doesn't make God angry, we shouldn't get all wrapped up in and be all angry about. Does that make sense? Are we tracking that that anger doesn't equal sin, but anger doesn't excuse sin either? Anger is never a justification for sin. There's a new word that's been floating around on social media. Maybe you've heard it before. I had never heard this word before, but Facebook introduced me to it. It's the word hangry. Anybody heard the word hangry? It's kind of a combination of the word hungry and angry. And the idea is that people get a little grouchy when they're angry, especially little kids. Like, if you've got toddlers, and they're starting to become a pain in the butt, a lot of times they're hungry. And the idea of being hangry, sometimes you'll see people say, I'm sorry for what I said, or I'm sorry for what I did when I was hungry. Almost as if it's an excuse, like, I was hungry, so let's let the jury strike that from the record. But the reality is that being hungry is no more an excuse to do the wrong thing than being angry is an excuse to do the wrong. The wrong thing. And he makes this, the importance of this, so clear when he says, in your anger do not sin and do not give the devil a foothold. Because Paul knows that if the sun is regularly going down on our anger, if we're cherishing that anger, relishing that anger, stewing on that anger, it's going to lead us to sin. And when anger leads to sin, it gives the devil a foothold. And next thing you know, you're angry all the time. Or every time you get angry, you do something might regret later, or something that will not put Christ in the best light, and that should matter to us. And we should not equate the two with each other, and we should not see one as an excuse for the other. And it makes me wonder if there wouldn't be a spiritual hunger and a spiritual anger that would propel us do the right thing like we could be spiritually hangry and that would be a blessing to people because our hunger for God and to see God's spirit move through this world and through our lives and through the people that we touch and our hunger our anger over the things that make God angry would make us spiritually hangry and that would be a really good thing I don't know we'll see if that takes off but in verse twenty-nine, I'm sorry, in verse twenty-eight, he it almost feels like he's changing gears. It's in the same paragraph in my uh, translation here, the NIV. But he says, "He who has been stealing must steal no longer and must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need." Now, obviously, there's a message here: don't steal. Because when you steal from someone, even if it's a nameless person, even if it's not somebody that's living next door to you, but you're taking something that doesn't belong to you, you're harming your neighbor. And Paul was crystal clear in Romans 15, love fulfills the law because love does no harm to one's neighbor. Love never does harm to a neighbor. And if we're stealing or stealing from our neighbor, we're stealing from the collective community, then we're taking something that doesn't belong to us and we're harming somebody that is not going to have that. And so he says, stop stealing and work. But the reason that he gives that we should work and work hard is so that we'll have something to share. Don't miss that. Anytime you see a that, circle the that, because it really means so that. It's giving you the application. It's saying, here's why you work, and here's why you live beneath your means. It's so that you'll have something to share with those who are in need. You would have... The ability to love your neighbor by sharing with them, by having enough to share. That we would choose to live beneath our means in such a way that that we can tithe. We can tithe to our local church. We can give over and above. We can give offerings. We can support ministries that reach out to the least of these. Or we'll have the funds to buy a co-worker a set of tires when you see that they're getting worn thin and you know that they don't have the funds because they've got a child that's going through a lot of medical issues and all their extra money is going there that you have margin in your life to be generous that you have margin in your life to help those who are in need that's what paul is saying here that one of the ways we love our neighbors is by living within our means and by being generous so that we can help those who do not have enough Now, in verse 29, he moves into the realm of our language, and he started with this in verse 25 to speak the truth uh, in love and to put off all falsehood. He kind of moves to the next level here in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's that word again that it may. There's the application. Here's why you don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Because you want everything that you say to benefit everyone who hears it. And if you're saying things that aren't benefiting people that are hearing them, then you're not loving your neighbor. And what you say really matters. And what you type really matters. More than ever. Do You see, Jesus didn't have to... with the digital world at the time, and Paul didn't have to contend with the digital world at the time, but I think if he was writing this today, he would say, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth or out of your fingertips or your thumbs. There's no buys on social media. There's no asterisks on this. That our conversation should be wholesome and that it should benefit all those who hear it, whether they use the same language or not. We need to be an example. We need to be living in such a way that what we say will build others up and be a benefit to those who listen. And then he moves into really what I think is kind of the, the locus of this whole passage, the real center of this, is this idea, do not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you, just as in Christ God forgave you. And I had to chew on that phrase, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so I looked up grief just to make sure I was understanding, and grieve means to, to respond to a loss. That's the process of grieving. And we think of, you know, somebody who has has lost somebody they love, they grieve that. Somebody maybe who lost a career that they love, they grieve that. Maybe somebody who lost the ability to move freely in the world through a disability or something like that, they grieve that. They grieve a loss. And we want to live in such a way that the Holy Spirit is not grieved by our lives, not grieved by lost opportunities, missed opportunities to love our neighbors, that that would grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think it happens in two primary ways. Choosing, verse 31, choosing bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and any kind of malice. Malice is ill will towards another person. That when we choose that, it's a missed opportunity to love somebody. It's a missed opportunity that grieves the Holy Spirit and the other way that i think we grieve the holy spirit sometimes is by simply neglecting to do verse 32 neglecting to be kind and compassionate neglecting to forgive just as in christ god forgave you you see these two led me to the to the bottom line today so if you checked out if you Heard me talking about social media and thought, oh, I better check my Facebook. Um, if you got a text message and you got derailed by that, come back. Here's the bottom line. Somebody asked you what church was about tomorrow. You'll be able to say this. You'll be able to say that, that loving your earthly neighbor delights your heavenly Father. Loving your earthly neighbor delights Your Heavenly Father. and We want to live in such a way that we're not missing opportunities either by doing the wrong thing or by failing to do the right thing. That we want to live in step with the Spirit to love our earthly neighbor and to delight our Heavenly Father. And if we really understand the gospel, if we really understand what we have been saved from and what we have been saved to, we will very much want to delight our Heavenly Father. When we understand that we have been saved from an eternity separated from God where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in utter darkness forever. We've been saved from that. We want to delight our Heavenly Father. And when we understand what we've been saved to, that we have been saved to eternity in His presence where He will wipe every tear away, where where we will worship Him in fullness of joy forever and ever and ever. When we understand what we've been saved to, we want to delight our Heavenly Father. And we do that best here and now by loving our earthly neighbor. Now, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 bring this section to a close. Where he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you catch the standard by which we are to love one another? The standard is Jesus. The standard is not Paul. It's not Some flawed human being. The standard is Jesus, who lived out this idea of living a life of love perfectly, consistently. Doesn't mean Jesus never told somebody a hard truth. He did that a number of times, and sometimes we're going to be compelled to do that as well. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to tell someone the hard truth. And the example that I've given before uh, is, is say I wanted to drive out to the Black Hills and I got on the the road and I'm headed west on I-90 and I pull off to one of the rest areas because one of the kids has to go to the bathroom even though they went right before we left. And I see somebody in that rest area and strike up a conversation with them and they say, oh yeah, we're on our way to Minneapolis. Now am I doing the loving thing by just smiling and don't want to confront you, don't want to tell you you're doing the wrong thing? No, I'm not doing... the. If they're in the westbound rest area, that means they've been driving west. They are not on their way to Minneapolis. Now, I don't have to be a jerk about it. I don't get to say, no, you're not, bozo. It's going to take you a long time to get to Minneapolis going west. You're going to have to drive all the way to Seattle, get on a plane, and go all the way around the world to Minneapolis. It would be much more efficient if you would just turn around and go east. And then make sure you take a, a trip north at some point. No, but I'm not doing them a favor if I don't tell them the truth. In fact, I'm hurting them. And when you take this way beyond getting to Minneapolis, you start talking about eternal destinations, and somebody thinks that they are on the path to heaven. They think that they're on the path to a peaceful afterlife, or they think that there is no afterlife. We are not doing them a favor by not conf- telling them the truth. Now we have to season our words with salt, and we have to make sure that they understand that we are speaking out of love. And we're not combative. We're just saying, you're not on the right path to the destination that you want. And we speak the truth in love, and we help them to see that they need to make a U-turn. That's what the word repentance literally means. It means to turn 180 degrees in the other direction. And so we learn to imitate God, to embrace Our sonship our daughtership to embrace that we are his dearly loved children and then to live out our calling to live out the calling to love one another to love our neighbor and we imitate God like a little kid imitates their mom or their dad have you ever seen this for better or worse they do this. You want to go back to the language, you know, how many of you have ever said a word that you shouldn't have said around a little three-year-old or four-year-old, and then you heard them say that word, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they said that. Where did you hear that? They said, well, you said it, Dad, when you pounded your thumb with the hammer. Or you said it, Dad, when somebody cut you off in traffic. And you're like, oh, forgive me, Lord. Right? Because kids imitate their mom and dad, and we want to imitate our Heavenly Father and our big brother Jesus just like a little kid. And you know why this is so important, why we need to imitate as closely as we possibly can, pursue a life of love and holiness? Because the world out there doesn't read their Bible. They read Christians. The world out there is not opening up the pages of Scripture to see what God is like and to see what He says. They're watching Christians. This is a great quote by Charles Spurgeon. The world does not read their Bible. They don't wake up in the morning with a Bible reading plan. They don't wake up in the morning and get out their banding together journal and seek to engage Scripture and pray a prayer that says, God, what do you want to say to me today? What in me needs to change? What do you want to challenge? What way of thinking? What way of acting? They're not doing that. They're watching you. They're watching me. And it's... Frightening how few Christians, when we, when we look at nationwide data and worldwide data, how few Christians are reading their Bible on a regular basis. Not aware that the world is watching them. The world is reading them. But they're not reading God's Word. They're not putting God's Word into their life. They're not seeking to be transformed by it on a regular basis. And that's why one of our f- core values is to center our lives on the Word. To center our lives on the Word. That's why I tell you to read your Bible almost every week. And when I don't, I wish I had. We need to be in God's Word every day because the world is not reading the Bible. They're reading you and me. What are they seeing? And what is it telling them about God? We must be imitators. And we must live a life of love, live a life of self-sacrificing surrender. That's what the word means. Self-sacrificing surrender, where we put others first. And Christ is lifted up as the standard. Nobody else, because loving our earthly neighbor delights our Heavenly Father, and Jesus delighted His Heavenly Father consistently, without fail, from the first breath until His last breath here on earth, and that's the measure that we are given. So you might be wondering at this point, well, what does that look like practically, Pastor Mark? And why is there a snow cone machine on the stage? Like, when are you going to get to that? There's a few of you that just haven't heard a word I said. You're like, what's with the snow cone machine? And if you're watching online and they haven't panned out to the whole stage, there's a snow cone machine. It's been here the whole morning. Before we get to the snow cone machine, I really want you to hear this. We have to remember that love is a command, it's not a suggestion, it's not optional, it's not extra credit for the spiritual elite. Love is a command. He's not commanding us to feel something. He's commanding us to do something. And that's really important that we understand. He's not asking us to manufacture emotions for people that we don't have emotions for. He's asking us to do something for them anyway, to love them as Jesus did anyway. And so it got me wondering, you know, what if there could be salvation through a snow cone? Do you think that salvation could come to somebody through a snow cone? I think it could, and I'm praying that it will, that a lot of people get saved by a snow cone. Maybe this summer, there could be a whole revival. They call it the Snow Cone Revival, the Sioux Falls Snow Cone Revival. Would that be cool or what? And we just had this crazy, harebrained idea last year when we were sick and tired of COVID. We're like, we need to do something fun. So I knew that the church had a snow cone machine. I think our kids had something to do with this idea that, hey, you know, we should do snow cones for the neighborhood. And so we put it on our little Facebook group, and we brought the snow cone machine, and we thought maybe 30, 40 people would come. And uh, about 100 people came, and a lot of them stayed. People went back home, got their lawn chairs, and sat on our lawn, and we just had snow cones. I think the Sunstrom boys had four, five, six each. They had a lot of snow cones. And people, could I have a second? Yes, you can have a second snow cone. And so here's the deal. The snow cone machine is available. If you want to do snow cones for your neighborhood, Great we shared this with the staff, and they're like, this is awesome. And I wish we'd have done more with it last year, but we were, you know, I was a little cautious with COVID and, you know, all that nonsense. Well, I'm not cautious anymore. I'm throwing caution to the wind. I think people could get saved with a snow cone. I think people could get invited to church because of a snow cone and actually come and hear the good news and be saved. And I think This kind of led to some dominoes started to tip, and and we were trying to figure out how to do VBS this year. And VBS has always been a challenge to get enough volunteers, and it's a big production, and you bring everybody into the church. And we thought, what if we took VBS to the neighborhoods of Sioux Falls and took VBS to the various places where you all live? And so we got that idea, and we came up with the idea of a backyard VBS, and this is really, really cool. I'm really excited about what Pastor Sandy has going on here, um, because the idea is you set up one or two nights in your neighborhood. It can be in your backyard, or it can be at a local park nearby. We live caddy corner to Galway Park, so on June uh, 15th, unless it rains, then we'll be on June 16th. We're going to have a VBS for our neighborhood at Galway Park, and y'all are welcome to come, but we're going to do that. and We're going to do snow cones the Saturday before and invite all the kids that come and get a snow cone to come back to the VBS on Tuesday. And you just have a meeting with Pastor Sandy. You figure out all the details. She takes care of the rest. She shows up with a tote that's got everything you need. It's got snacks. It's got crafts. She does the lesson. And all you need to do is show up, maybe recruit a volunteer or two. There have been people that have said, you know, I don't I don't want to host one, but I'll serve at one or two. And so you could do that. You don't have to have kids to do a backyard VBS. You could say, you know, we've got a park, and we can do snow cones on Saturday and VBS on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you can run with it. And Maybe we'll just let you all know when those are happening so you can show up or you can bring your kids or you can send your neighbors. You're like, oh, I work with somebody that lives in Galway. I'm going to make sure they know that they should go, that he's not crazy, that there's nothing in the Kool-Aid. Like, you should go to that and you should learn and you should hear and then you should come to Linwood. And so I want to encourage you to get creative. That's the point. Not that we all get hung up on snow cones. I would love it if this thing was out all summer long, and even if it gets broken, I would love to buy another one, and I would love to refill our supplies multiple times this summer uh, because I think that's a great example. But what, what lights your fire? What, what would be a great way for you to engage your neighborhood and love your neighbors? And I want to challenge everybody because I believe that one of the best things that you can do for your neighbor, one of the best ways that you can love your neighbor is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage every single person in the room and online, to invite somebody to church or to share your story with somebody in the next 30 days. In the next 30 days, invite somebody. Whether you are young or old, whether you are working or retired, whether you choose to invite a friend or a family member or a neighbor, I want to encourage everybody to invite somebody in the next 30 days. And if you're like me, you'll forget about this if you don't do it soon. So maybe it should just be the next three days. You should invite somebody. Or when we see the the backyard BBSs get going, you should invite them to those. Maybe you could invite them to church. Maybe you could invite them to breakfast before church or brunch after church or lunch after church. And we were talking about that in the LBA meeting and we got this crazy idea, this idea of take them to lunch. And I want to encourage everybody to take somebody to lunch once a month. Somebody you don't know very well. There are new people that are coming to our church. What if they had somebody asking them to lunch and if finances are the only reason that you won't do this we'll reimburse your lunch up to once a month you can't take your family and some other family out to lunch every week and expect the church to foot the bill but up to once a week somebody uh, up to once a month somebody you don't know very well take them to lunch invite them to lunch bring us the receipt we'll reimburse it we just want to create connection we just want you to get to know your brothers and sisters you're going to spend eternity with each other you can have lunch now But what's a creative way that you can think of to love your neighbor? What's a creative way that you can think of to love your earthly neighbor and delight your Heavenly Father? As we close the service this morning, I want to remind you that the altars are always open. We talk about this every now and then, but these middle altars kind of tell us you would like to pray alone. If you go to one of the outside altars, that kind of communicates you'd like somebody to pray with you. And today we're going to uh, have anointing available, which means if you would like to come forward and have Pastor, uh, sorry, Pastor Zach or myself will be in these two corners. You can come and you can just ask for prayer. You can be anointed for yourself or for somebody else and we'll anoint you and we'll pray for you. And so as we respond in worship, I just want to encourage everybody to respond in faith to what you've heard and to ask God to show you how you can love your neighbor and delight your heavenly father will you pray with me heavenly father we do thank you for your goodness and your grace and we thank you for your word and we thank you for the invitation that you have given to us to imitate you to to live a life of love and we thank you for the command lord which is very unambiguous it's very clear you expect us to do this you expect us to love our neighbors you expect us to put others first and so we ask for your help in that we ask for your holy spirit to come and to fill us and to send us and to empower us to love and to love well And in these next few moments lord whatever needs there may be whatever challenges may be faced We pray that your spirit would move in power, would meet the needs, and that we would respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray.